This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And good morning, everyone. I'm Sandy Marrowhunt. And we join you here live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. And we are replayed throughout the week. Yes. Hello, Sandy. Well, it's good so morning. good to see you. I know. It's a beautiful day here. On ca- a hot day. Hot day. On campus. We have another little heat wave, but the students are all back. And we sit in this gorgeous studio with a big piece of plate glass where we got to get to watch the students sprint to class for their <laughs> nine o'clock classes. That's right. Yep. Um, so it's fun. The campus has really come alive again. It's an exciting time of year here. And Sandy, you hit your one month mark one till your month. due date. One month. One month. Exactly. So exciting. Congratulations Surreal. Thank on you. That. Thank you. Uh, we have a great show, as always, mm-hmm. ready for our guests. Um, the first one that we'll have is Paul Argenti, who is a professor of corporate communications at Dartmouth College's Tuck School of Business. Paul will be joining us to discuss how millennials are influencing our business models. We'll discuss the growing need to have a social focus and dive into the do's and don'ts of how businesses can best deliver a genuine and authentic message of social impact. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk to him because he's been writing about this for a while. Yeah. Um, going back to, you know, 2007 publication on corporate communication, he's really going to have that breadth to take us from companies, you know, talking about CSR because it seems like what their customers want to this really integrated approach that we're now seeing. Totally. And so the second guest we have is Rafael Bemperad, who is the founding partner and chief strategy officer of BBMG, a consulting firm. Uh, They work with clients ranging from Target, Cliff Bars, Adidas, Samsung, and we'll be examining how Rafael helps big businesses become what he describes as brands for humans. What does it take to make humanity the core of a business? We'll take a look to answer how big businesses can embed social purpose into their DNA. Yeah, and that's a great call and opportunity for listeners, whether you are, you know, a product line of a multinational or large corporation or a startup really thinking about, you know, how to harness the knowledge of someone who works with these, you know, incredible multinational companies to make your product a Product for humans. Product for humans, right. And then our at the top of the hour, we'll be talking to Helen Sahi, who's the Senior Director of Sustainability for Avery Dennison. Uh, Avery Dennison has sales of $6 billion from continuing operations in 2015, and they're described as a global leader in labeling and packaging materials. So something we may not think is like super awesome, sexy, whatever, yeah. but I think huge company. Oh, and, I, and I think people often overlook those segments of the industry and the supply yeah. chain, but it's where you know tremendous amount of business gets done in packaging and labeling and shipping and transport and um and there's huge impact there. It may not be customer-facing, so that'll be fun to unpack with her. Exactly. Oh, unpack. <laughs> <laughs> and Helen will be joining us to explore what is being done to manage, uh, to make packaging more sustainable. So we'll be unpacking that <laughs> uh, with innovative solutions like developing bags made from sugar cane. Um, we'll be getting a behind-the-scenes look at the creative process for quite literally thinking outside the box. Yay. Oh, we're so punny this and morning. And I want to talk to her about what consumers can do as well. I know this is something I've discussed with friends we we comically ordered a ruler in our office, like a twelve inch standard, standard ruler that you probably ruler. just bought your kids for for first right. day of school, three for a dollar at the dollar store kind of situation. Had to order it, you know, online through our pen preferred vendors, what have you, and it came in a box that was like a foot square with tons of packing peanuts. It was absolutely hilarious. But this happens all the time, and yeah. when it comes to you know some of these meal delivery services and. Um, 
grocery delivery services, this is something that's really on people's minds. You know, totally. How do you balance that efficiency of these options we now have with the sustainability of the packaging? So I hope she's got some good advice for what we as consumers can look for, requests, avoid. Yeah. And you know what? In our fourth segment, we're going to be sh- swift, uh, switching gears a little bit. I think a lot of our the first three guests on our show were talking about, you know, impact brands and how Mm -hmm. the macroeconomic trends are happening with millennials. Mm -hmm. And we're going to change a little bit to talk about structural unemployment with Art Bilger, who's the founder and CEO of Working Nation. And Working Nation is a national not-for-profit campaign to educate the American public about the looming unemployment crisis in this country and to start a widespread movement to meet and overcome this unprecedented challenge. We'll be diving into the issues of unemployment and how Art plans to continue to raise awareness and ultimately create a movement that lasts leads to lasting change. Yeah. And if anyone's at, at their computers for this, one really interesting thing is they're at the front of the Working Nation website is a quiz. Like how, I don't want to say how replaceable are you, but like is your job at risk, you know. Yeah, for this, the future. For the future. Yeah. And it was, I like sort of paused before taking it. I like didn't want to know the answer. Um, You're very- highly replaceable. <laughs> Robots will be hosting dollars and change soon. Actually, we're robots. It's already <laughs> happened. No, but thinking about, you know, uh, what, you know, what questions they asked to, to drive that is really, really interesting to think about your job um, as it relates to those questions. So I'm excited to talk to Art about how he put that together yeah. um, and what people should be thinking about as they shape their careers or educational choices, their degrees in school, their continuing education, you know, to be as employable as possible. Yeah. And so, you know, as I mentioned, we have a great show. And if you want to give us a call, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can shoot us an email, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111. And Matt is monitoring all of that right now. Yes. And we have a wonderful um, Twitter handle for our Wharton Social Impact work more broadly, at Wharton Social. Yes. So if there's anything that you think... You know, that would be interesting to learn more about. Feel free to tweet at us. Is that the right verb? I think so. (laughs) Tweet at us and we'll tweet back um, and we'll share great things from this show and other exciting activities, updates, announcements and articles. You bet. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our first guest, uh, Paul Argenti from Dartmouth College's Tuck School of Business. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. We are delighted to have you. And, you know, this is some this is a topic that, you know, we're also obviously on a, you know, seated within a business school and we're seeing a lot of these trends happen. But, you know, let's let's take a step back real fast and and just talk a little bit more about your own history and and what you've been researching over the years Mm -hmm. and and what the topic is today. Yeah. So I my career has been mostly spent in the area of corporate communication and particularly in how companies execute strategy through corporate communication. But actually going back to 2004, I started to get more and more interested in corporate responsibility. And part of the reason is that at least back then and even earlier than that, for the most part, that function was managed by corporate communication. And so as I started to write about that more, my first major article on it was about Starbucks and a challenge they had from Global Exchange, which is an NGO, to offer fair trade coffee. Um, I started to get more and more interested in that subject and started to teach a course on it and published a textbook on corporate responsibility and started to write more about it. So that was my area of interest to begin with, corporate responsibility. But the more and more I looked into it, and as I looked at my own students, I saw major changes taking place in attitudes as millennials started to come into the fold. So that's how I got into it in the first place. 
No, that's great. And, you know, how have you seen... Well, let me take a step back. It seems like you've really been sort of at the forefront of, of the movement. You've noticed it from the corporate communication standpoint. You know, how have you seen how we're talking about corporate social responsibility? I've even seen corporations drop the social piece and just say corporate yep. responsibility. What, yep. you know, what have you seen uh, the trends over the course of your career? Yeah, well, I, I, I definitely agree with that. The name of my textbook is Corporate Responsibility. So, you know, I think, and that's the name of my course. I mean, I think the social part of it is gone. I, I think... There are three things that uh, that I talk about in relation to this that I think are important. The first is that corporate responsibility, starting out as part of a corporate communications function, was often just that, you know, public relations activities without a whole lot of content. You know, companies saw an opportunity to harvest this opportunity with students and millennials and people who are coming up. and And then suddenly people became more discerning and realized that, it had to be more than just talk. There had to be action behind it, and I think that was important. The second thing is that the topic often gets confused, and I think part of that is just the way it's categorized. And, you know, many, many years back when I first started doing my research on corporate communication, I did a, a lot of work to try to make sure that we had something called corporate communication instead of public relations, and I equate this to the same thing. Today, you know, a lot of people call this sustainability, which I think it is not. I, th I mean, I think sustainability is really more associated with the environmental aspects of corporate responsibility. And I think the social piece is just one part of it. You know, there are economic issues associated mm -hmm. with this. There are environmental issues associated with this. There are governance issues associated with it. So part of my job as an academic has been to try to put a stake in the ground about how we even talk about this. And I've spent a lot of time trying to do that over the last several years. Yeah. And Paul, I'm curious, you referenced, you know, that that where where this corporate responsibility work sits in the org chart has evolved, that 10 mm -hmm. years ago, this was heavily in the marketing and communications department, get out there, take good pictures, tell people we're painting this school or doing this, you know, right. canned food drive. Right. What What's happened to it now? Where do these roles sit within these org charts? I mean, I think at the highest end, we point to a company like Unilever, which is, you know, maybe the most progressive company in terms of corporate responsibility, mm -hmm. where there is no separate corporate responsibility function. You know, it's everybody's job to be responsible. And the CEO is the biggest advocate for this of all. Uh, in other organizations, it's a separate department. Um, and in some corporations, it's still part of corporate responsibility, but it has more teeth to it. You know, and I think it kind of depends on what company you're talking about since this is still an evolving uh, function. I think, you know, when you think about it, the easiest place for a company to jump in is around issues of sustainability and environmental stuff. And, and the reason for that is that it ends up helping the company immediately. You know, there's an immediate payback. And I, I would point to Walmart as an example of that. When they put in, uh, or in 2005, their um, save money, live better mantra mm -hmm. as part of their change, they really focused on sustainability because it was the easiest thing to do. You know, they have huge issues related to women and workers and stuff. But, you know, changing their refrigerators out, making sure their land was sustainable, and then forcing their suppliers to be more sustainable was, was an easy thing to do. And so you see companies, you know, building big functions around that if they have the opportunity and then trying to work from there on the social issues in a variety of ways. And I think that's what's so exciting about it. There is no one way to do this and there's no right way to do it. And companies are taking advantage of that as much as they can. Yeah. And I love the idea of sort of putting, you know, these corporate responsibility teams, putting themselves out of work, right? Getting out of a siloed yep. part of the org chart and really just becoming 
you know, a responsibility that is expected of everyone across the organization. Yep. And Paul, how is this? Are you you said this is taking a variety of forms and, you know, each company sort of choosing themselves. Are you seeing anything in how corporations are making that decision? So I'm thinking of Walmart. You said it's very much in the the operations, how they decided to to tackle this. Others, you know, I think and this is ties into your work are focused on, Okay, there's consumer demand for this. And how are people balancing that from a you know, how do we attract more consumers? How are we doing our operations and, and what's the interplay there? Yeah, I think, I, you know, I think it depends, again, it depends on the kind of company you are. And obviously, if consumers are asking for this, that's a, a way in, and that would mean that the function would have more of a marketing orientation. You know, if it's more of a social issue for the company, then communications uh, function would take responsibility for that and so forth. And I think, you know, it, and even in in some companies, the CEO is the driver of it and comes up with, you know, interesting ideas. And I'd say Starbucks is a great example of that. You know, Howard Schultz is someone who constantly comes up with innovative ideas. And, you know, the Race Together campaign is one that I've talked and written about before because I think that was such an interesting idea, maybe poorly executed, but it shows you that, you know, this is coming from a variety of perspectives and for a variety of constituencies. And that's really the way I see it. I think if you if you think of employees as the primary drivers for this in most organizations and consumers, the, the next part of that, today we're even moving out to investors as a mm-hmm. key aspect of that. And I, and I think that's the way the function is evolving and, and why it's it's spread across multiple constituencies and multiple functions. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And we are speaking with Paul Argenti around corporate responsibility. And so if you have a question for us and really, you know, how would how might you incorporate it into your own business? If you're thinking of a startup, how might you incorporate it early on? Um, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Yeah. And Paul, you, you just touched on the, um, you know, the the Starbucks sort of race discussion campaign, which was met with at best mixed, you know, yeah. response. Um, but I wanted to like, pause there to talk about that for a moment because I think something that came to mind in seeing how that played out was a, you know, this question of, uh, you know, groups getting comfortable with failure. This is something we haven't seen a lot from yeah. the social sector, and we're starting to see that as more acceptable practice try something out. If it fails, that's fine. Um, Traditionally, in sort of the impact sector, things were played really safe so as to not offend, so as to not, you know, fumble. And we're just starting to see more innovation there. Talk to us about how you've seen that evolution of how failure is perceived in the impact space. Yeah, I totally agree. And communicated, I I guess, more importantly. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I'd say I'd go back to Walmart first and then talk about Starbucks. Walmart had lots of fits and starts in the way it started to execute on um, you know, corporate responsibility. And, you know, they, they targeted three different areas in particular. One was um, textiles, you know, because uh, they were going into organic cotton and stuff like that, seafood and electronics. And they allowed seafood. You know, these were business people, not social responsibility people, to kind of test these ideas out in a variety of settings. And obviously, the seafood one, if you don't know, was their most successful. They've done an incredible job of actually making the seafood more sustainable by making their suppliers, you know, uh, apply sustainability, uh, you know, standards to the work that they do. On the other hand, the electronic piece failed miserably. Consumers don't want to bring their computers back, or even if you give them a box, they won't send it back, you know, and 
and they won't pay more for things that are more likely to be better for you uh, in terms of better for society. So, you know, you learn by doing. And I think it's the same thing with Starbucks. You know, that was an interesting idea, you have to admit, for Howard Schultz to think of the Race Together campaign. But people don't want to, you know, while they're standing in line waiting for their latte, get into a discussion of 200 years of repression. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And <laughs> no. so I, I think that trying Definitely not before the latte, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's part of it is that you have to have you have to have a pretty good sense of the ambiguity associated with this to be successful at it. And that doesn't sit well with your traditional kinds of people who run businesses, which, you know, who are people who are more business oriented, engineering oriented or scientifically oriented. So, Paul, I wanted to shift a little bit to this article that you wrote um, for NPR, and it was uh-huh. Corporate Ethics in the Era of Millennials. You know, we, we as we sort of discussed, you know, I think millennials, we've got them as a consumer population. They're a growing uh, part of the employment population. What are employee or sorry, what are millennials demanding in this space for uh, for corporations? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, look, they today they represent more than a quarter of the workforce, and that's going to be fifty percent by the end of this decade, which is incredible. You know, and about a third of retail sales are also coming from them. And you know, if you're not thinking about this, you're in trouble, as far as I'm concerned. But but I think one of the things we know about millennials is that they're way more responsive to these activities um, in terms of whether they decide to come to work for you or whether they want to buy stuff for you. And, you know, the way I would describe it is my generation, you know, was more, um, we, the way I like to describe it is that we talk thin and eat fat. You know, we would buy a Diet Coke with our, um, uh, with our Big, Big Mac. Mac yeah. 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 Guilty. Yeah. Whereas this, this, this group is really sticking to their guns, and I think they're much more likely to focus on these things in a way that, whether we're talking about the triple bottom line of people, planet, or profit, or in terms of whether they will buy this kind of diaper versus that, given your situation, you'll be buying diapers. <laughs> and, I, and we are thinking about that. Are and they need to compostable? Think about it, right? and, and how long do they last in landfills? Around. You know, they're not saying one thing and doing another, which is exactly what you know, you know, you know, baby boomers and Gen X did. They're actually doing what they say they would do. And, and, you know, what's so interesting to me, and I thought you guys might might find this interesting, there's a study that UCLA does every year. I don't know if you're familiar with this, with its undergraduates, that tracks their sense of values and whether they value uh, a good life or making money more. And oddly enough, for my generation, for baby boomers, we wanted to have a good life and weren't as interested in making money. And this generation is totally focused on making money over having a good life. Like, that's their priority. I, I would have and, uh, guessed the exact opposite. Exactly. And it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, they're much more pragmatic, I guess, is what I'm saying and what I'm finding in the work that I'm doing. They're, they are, they're people who really, you know, they know they need to make money to get the job done. But they're going to do that with a company that actually gives them what they need. And not when one that does not is not going to work. And, and you know, the, the other part of it that I wrote about in the article, which uh, got an incredible amount of... Um, you know, feedback from um, Facebook. I was really surprised. I mean, I write a lot of articles, and this one had thousands and thousands of people responding to it. But the other thing uh, that I think is really important is that, you know, you have to you have to focus on millennials in a way that gets to their gut. You know, they're really the kinds of people who are way more demanding 
and a lot more skeptical. And if it's not true, they're going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and to me, that's their, their BS meters are finely tuned is the way I wrote about it. <laughs> and that's because of social media. Mm-hmm. Social media really has changed the nature of the game. And, you know, through social media, you get smoked out. I mean, you can't, you can't have greenwashing going on and not be found out when there's social media where someone can figure out that you're lying. And I think that's part of what Well, I think in, your, in the article you mentioned something around, around BS meters, <laughs> around um, they're, they're, they're trusting their peers through social media versus the company spiel, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, what do you do? You know, when you decide to go buy those diapers, are you going to look to the advertising program from the company or, you know, look for what people are saying online? Whether we're going to a restaurant or buying a car today, you know, that the peer influence is the key thing that we look for. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, right? It's the Amazon reviews and not it's the Yelp. product description. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah. how have you seen, you know, you're, you're looking at corporate communications, budgets, org charts, you know, the way, you know, industry structures their investment in telling their story. How has that shifted with this transparency demand? Well, I, you know, I think that every corporation is on to this in terms of the need to be focused on, particularly on social media. Um, but, you know, again, it's, they're very, very slow to move. And I think this is particularly true in highly regulated industries like pharmaceutical companies and financial services. And I think that's unfortunate. But you even see it in companies like, um, you know, that should be on to this, automobile companies. There are a handful that are doing a great job, and I would point Ford is an amazing example of that. But, you know, in every industry, there's one company that really gets it and lots that don't. And and part of this is that, you know, I work mostly with senior executives, people who are on the operating group or executive committee of a company. You still have people at that age group and that level who, you know, print out their emails, you know. I mean, these are people who are not digital natives, let's put it that way. So it's going to take time before companies really get this right. And it's younger people who are pushing it, and smart companies get that, and, you know, ones that are still stuck in their ways or use the kinds of things that, you know, government regulation is a way to to stop this from happening. And I, I see that a lot in the pharmaceutical industry in particular. But you see it in financial services, too. Oh, we can't do that. You know, compliance says we can't do that. Well, there's a lot of things that you can do that people say you can't do, you know. So, Paul, you mentioned a, a couple, you know, earlier we, we talked about Starbucks, we talked about Walmart. You just mentioned Ford as someone that you or a company that you think is doing this well. And in the NPR article, you also mention American Apparel as someone that maybe didn't do it as well. So what are some of those do's and don'ts that you're you're finding well, I think, you know, the first thing is a kind of authenticity that has to go along with this. You can't say one thing and do another. You can't, you know, start a program and stop it. There has to be a kind of a, a length associated with this. I think it has to be totally baked into the culture. To me, that's the key. And, you know, that 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 is what really counts. If it's not a part of the culture, it's probably not going to get anywhere. If it's a program or a department and not something that is built into everything that the organization is doing. It's going to go nowhere. And, you know, when you think about it, think about Walmart. I mean, this is a company that we would have never associated with this, um, you know, even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now we see it creeping into everything that they do, you know, the way they're approaching wages, the way they're thinking about women. They've completely changed the nature of who they are. And it took them over a decade to do that. You know, it takes a long time to get this right. And I think the same thing is true whether we're talking about Purdue and, you know, how they're breeding chickens or the way we're looking at the production of, um, 
you know, of, um, of the, where your supply comes from or we're talking about the way people sell things in their stores, it takes a while to get it into the culture. And to me, that's important. And the other part of it is that, you know, you have to really put, put money behind the, these kinds of efforts. And a lot of companies, when the times get tough, they pull back on it and see it in the same vein, particularly if it's associated with communications as a communication function, you know. Now, we don't have money for that anymore, so we won't do it. That That's unfortunate. Yeah, and I think that's why one of the, the the big sort of demands from this millennial generation and others is bake it in. Bake it into the business that as your business, you know, grows larger and does well, this more of this good stuff happens. And when times are tough, it can't get cut entirely. It's still an integrated part of whatever percentage of business you're doing. Um, as you talked about, Paul, that integration with – the culture and not just being like a particular um, division or program. One of the interesting things you might might be curious to learn is I was talking to our students, a group of students, about how do they look and ask for you know, ask questions about the impact of a company when they're interviewing. If they're not going, you know, they're not going total impact sector, but they're going to work for a multinational corporation or a bank, and they want to know if impact is legit. And said, truthfully, the recruiters that they send are typically junior level people. They're in their 20s or early 30s. And we ask them. And if they're not intimately aware and able to speak with experience to the things that we're reading on the CSR webpage that the company so beautifully put together, that's a big red flag for us. Because it says to us, this is done with certain people at a certain pay grade for certain goals, but it is not throughout the entire company. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I'm curious, do you have advice for, you know, for students listening or for individuals who are job hunting and are listening to say, how do you sort of, how do you, how do you uh, <laughs> update your BS meter to use your language? No, that's uh, a really good And make sure really that you're, question. you're looking for it and sort of sniffing it out when you're going through the interview process. I think it's a great question. And, you know, at the end of my core responsibility class in the spring, which is, you know, as people are going out into the workforce, I always ask them, you know, have you looked at what the values of the companies are that you're going to work for. And it's amazing how many students didn't think to do that in the first place. And how would you identify values? I mean, do you go That's to the website and look question. for the the values statement on their website yeah. in shiny letters? Yeah. No, that I've tried that. That's <laughs> a horrifying exercise. No, Our I mean, you values. have to look deeper. <laughs> you you want to look into, you know, how much are they really empowering people to do the kinds of things that they need to do? And how much work do they do in the local communities in which they operate? And is it baked into the employee base in a way that, in one of the examples that I wrote about, um, you know, is um, at Verizon, where they give people 16 hours a year of paid time off. You see the same thing at companies like Goldman Sachs, where, you know, what are the policies associated with this? Do I have an opportunity to do good, do well, and, you know, and, and make money at the same time? Is it built into the strategy of the company? You know, you, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. The values, obviously, that I'm talking about are the ones that are associated with the culture itself, and you can ask questions that will will help you to understand that. You know, do people really value, um, you know, what's best for society over making money? You know, there's a great poll that I've been tracking for many, many years that's, you know, do you value profit or the public interest most for companies? And, and you know, today, that the number associated with that, the, what, what attitudes are about what people think about companies has gone so far down that it's below 10%. Like most people believe that companies care about making money way more than they care about what's best for society. 
And that's unfortunate. That number needs to change. And when you ask companies, you know, what they do, that tells you everything you need to know. So what's the one question you would encourage a millennial to ask in the job interview? Um, I would say, you know, what can I do when I'm at your company that will help make the world a better place? What am I going to be able to do? And if they say, you know, hey, we, we give paid time off to vote to volunteer efforts, that's a pretty good answer. If they say in your job, you will have the opportunity to make a difference and to come up with a program, that's one level up. And if they say, you know, it's everybody's job to be responsible and we bake it into our strategy, that's the top of the ziggurat as far as I'm concerned. Awesome. I think that was that's a great way to to end our segment. Thank you so much, Paul Argenti, who is professor of corporate communications at Tuck School of the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. Uh, we do need to take a short break, but when we get back, we will be speaking with Rafael Bemparad, who is the founding partner and chief strategy officer of BBMG. We'll be speaking a lot more about corporate responsibility and and consumer demand. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six or shoot us an email business radio at siriusxm.com this is business radio powered by the wharton school on siriusxm 111 for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu